0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Because if he did not do his work correctly, the post would have fallen down and the tabernacle would not have stood. Compare that to the work of Bezalel. He worked on the gold part, the gold mercy seat of the ark. We know by name. We may think that his part was more important, more glamorous. It's the same today. Some tasks are not as visible. Some tasks are not as glamorous. Tim and myself and Dave and other folks are preaching. But yet, there are many folks behind the scenes that do very important work that if they don't do it correctly, this service does not happen well building the slides the practice of the worship team all of that goes as a unified glorification of God we need to be careful also that no matter what our gifting that we don't act in an elitist manner that our gift is better than somebody else's when Kyung and I were in Korea this was about 16, 17 years ago The church we went to was a very spirit-filled church. And I went to a men's Bible study. And before it started, I had one of the the folks, one of the guys say, so, do you pray in tongues? And I'm not a secessionist. I believe all gifts are still valid. And I said, no. And his response was, hmm. You know, and I felt really like I was a lower-class Christian because I did not have this gift that he thought was so important. So we need to be careful, no matter what our gifting is, that we don't look down upon those who have other gifts. There was also, a, a, when Cal and I were in Hawaii, we were going to uh, Calvary Chapel, Pearl Harbor. And a famous, well-known televangelist was coming to Hawaii for a healing conference. And he was selling tickets to go to that event. And our pastor was spun up beyond belief about this. Uh, and what he said is that if this person really had the gift of healing, he should not be charging people to go to this event and be healed. He should be going to the hospitals and healing the people in the hospitals. Um, I think he was spot on. If we had gifts, we were to use those. Not for our own um, benefit, not for our own Monetary gain, but to glorify God's kingdom. We're also gifted for generosity. Look back on Exodus thirty-five, twenty-two. Then all whose hearts were moved, all whose hearts moved them, both men and women came and brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and bracelets, all articles of the gold. So did every man who presented an offering of gold to the Lord. And then again in Exodus thirty-six, three. They received from Moses all the contributions which the sons of Israel had brought to perform the work in the construction of the sanctuary, and they still continued bringing them, bringing to him free will offerings every morning. Israel was so generous. After reading um, the passage about this, have you ever stopped to think how much they actually donated with gold, silver, and bronze? I did some calculations, and my math may be a little bit off, but it's probably pretty doggone close. The gold was approximately 2,193 pounds that was donated. The silver, 7,544. The bronze, 5,310. If we look at that in today's monetary um, values, $46.5 million dollars worth of gold was donated by the people of Israel to build God's house. $2.1 million for the silver. 141000 for the bronze. The faithful giving of God's people allowed the tabernacle to be built exactly as God wanted it with no shortcuts. They didn't have to cut corners. Also, there was no personalization in their giving. It was put to the greater good there was no name plaques. This donated by so-and-so. This was done by a holy app. No, they all were generous and anonymous in their gifting. Do you ever think about how the more we grasp and hoard, the more we need? Pastor Tim mentioned, I think it was last month, uh, statistics on people who give donation-wise. And although the rich people give more as flat amount, percentage-wise they give much less. Um, I think that ties into when you have, you just keep wanting and wanting and wanting. Talk about the American dream. It's more like the American nightmare of just trying to chase bigger and better constantly. And when we don't share it and we're greedy with what God has blessed us, um, we're not meeting the needs of those around us. Second Corinthians nine seven. Each one must do just as he has proposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Israel here was a cheerful giver; they gave freely, so God's house was built, the tabernacle. And in Proverbs eleven twenty four through twenty five, there is one who scatters and yet increases all the more, and there is one who withholds what is justly due, and yet results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous. And he who waters will himself be watered. Story of two churches and two different philosophies on giving. Uh, When we were in Hawaii, a different church when we first got there, they would have a lot of guest speakers. And they would always do a special offering. But the way they did it, it was like compulsion, because they would say, we're going to take an offering for such and such. If you'd like to contribute, please raise your hand. And then after they pass out envelopes, then, okay, everybody raise your envelopes. We'll pray over it. And it's like you're looking around thinking people are looking up. Maybe just get an envelope. And, you know, true confession, I actually thought about asking for an envelope and just having an empty envelope because I felt so bad the way they did things. But that's like compulsion. It's leverage. And then in Colorado Springs, we went to Rocky Mountain Calvary Chapel and we were there a few weeks And they hadn't taken an offering every week. Um, And we believe in tithing. And so I went up to one of the, the elders, and I'm like, when do you all do the offering here? And he pointed to some containers outside the sanctuary, and he said, that's where people give their offerings. We don't ask for anything. We believe that God will move people's hearts to just give. And this was a large church that grew and did an expansion later on. So two different philosophies. And the one, they just believe that God is going to provide, and they continue to grow. Um, we should also be generous with our talents. Do we willingly share our gifts with one another? If we possess gifts that are in need, are we willing to help one another? So if anybody needs organization, administration, okay? Um, but don't look for mercy. We have to ask ourselves the question with our gifts are we being selfish or are we being generous with our gifting? And then tying it to that is generous with time, because it more than likely takes time as we share and use our gifts. If we're doing something to help someone another. And the way we're wired can impact how we review that. So you already know that I'm in administration and not mercy. I'm also, and probably some of you have done these evaluations too, the time event task person evaluation. I am so task time, it's ridiculous. Um, I'm not a people event type person. So if something says it's supposed to start at 10 o'clock, and it doesn't start at 10 o'clock, I'm like getting antsy. Um, My time in the military, I had a commander. The staff meeting started at 10 o'clock. At 10 o'clock, he shut the door and locked it. And if you weren't in the room, you got to talk to him after the meeting was over. Um, That's just the way I was wired. So if you come to me, and I, I seem a little bit... It's just, I know I'm wired that way, and I, and I work on it, but I'm time and task, like way off on the end of the bell curve. Um, think of those in Scripture who displayed incredible obedience. Noah. Think about, think about Noah's story. So we don't know exactly how long it took Noah to build the ark. There's a reference to 120 years in there. Some theologian scholars believe 55 to 75 years is closer to the mark. But regardless, 55 to 120 years of building something that everybody's looking at you, your neighbors are thinking that you're nuts. Why is he building this big boat? And, and Noah was faithful through this long period of time. And his faithfulness resulted in mankind being spared and continuing. 55 years to 120 years. We get worn out after a couple weeks of trying to do something. Incredible obedience and faithfulness from Noah. Think about Abraham. Genesis 22. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Think about that. A burnt offering. Not just a, but a burnt offering. Abraham must have turned sick inside when, when he was commanded this. This was the son of his old age. This was supposed to be the seed of Israel. He's thinking, had God lied to him, was this the demand of a rational God? If Abraham, if Abraham, if Abraham had talked to somebody, he probably would have been talked out of doing this because this is not something that a sane person does. But yet, Abraham was faithful. Mount Moriah was a journey from where he was given that command. So Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, strapped the prepared wood on the beast, and with two servants and his son, Isaac, started the sad journey. Those of us that may have lost a son can begin to know the impact of the command to offer their son as a burnt offering. Your blood turns cold when you think about that. Everything in Abraham died except his obedience. And his agony lasted for three days as he went to the place where the sacrifice was to be made. Faithful Abraham built the altar, placed the wood on it, and then his bound son with a trembling, upraised hand He drew the knife to slay his son. If God had blinked, Isaac would have been dead. But in that awful moment, an angel cried out, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. The angel said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Abraham was 100% obedient. Never has history recorded such obedience except the cross of Jesus Christ. Obedience also generates power. Think of Luke chapter 5. They had fished all night, and they had caught nothing. These were not amateur fishermen. They were fishermen as a profession. And after Jesus had finished teaching, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon could have said, you know, we've been doing this for many, many years, and we know how to fish. We've already fished and we've caught nothing. And he said, Master, we taught all night and took nothing. Peter was not ashamed. It wasn't his fault that he had failed. Jesus did not criticize but encouraged them to try again. And what was the result? A phenomenal catch. And Peter's, Peter's exclamation, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. Again, Peter was obedient to what God had called him to do. Many of us enjoy sports. And we get excited, like this morning, back in the States, is college football. I was checking scores this morning. Ohio State won, so it's a good day. Um, But we get excited about sports events. Do we get excited when we come to church? Should the stadium be the place where we are most excited, or should this... Be the place we get most excited about as Christians. Any church that preaches the Word of God should be the place that we get excited about. The essence of the Christian life—it's not experience, it's not prayer. Although prayer is important, it's not witnessing. It's the Bible. It's God's Word. It involves knowing what the Bible says. It involves doing or not doing what the Bible says to do or not to do it is a practice of the word of God it is putting biblical principles into practice in our lives it Is developing what we don't have that the Bible says we should have and our Christian life should be exciting experiencing God's blessings should be exciting emphasizes the importance of answered prayer. When we get answered prayer, don't we rejoice over that? Many of us keep journals and we log that answered prayers. I know our small group, uh, we were doing that. We have a prayer list and as prayers get answered, we move that from the active to the answered prayer list and you can rejoice over that listing of answered prayers. Emphasizes the importance of spiritual victories, temptations that we withstand. Sins that we conquer. Strongholds in our lives that are broken down. Souls that are won for the kingdom of God. And the expectations of the word are exciting. There are things that we must do, and there are things that we must not do. And through time, the must-dos become the can-dos. And if God commands it, we can do it. Just like if God commands us, Whatever our ministry is, He will equip us, and and as long as we're faithful, we'll be successful in in what God has placed before us. And this makes commandments of God very exciting. When we say, I can't do it, when God has placed it before us, then we're making God out to be a liar. We need to be careful. And living by biblical principles is an exercise. The Bible should be our basis for how we make decisions, for how we live our lives, for how we interact with people. Putting the Bible into practice is exercise. Christianity tends to become a drag for many people through time. But it ought to be a continuous and exciting and challenging way of living. The Israelites, as we looked at in this passage, had failed many times. But yet, they failed faithfully and obediently followed God's instructions in building the tabernacle. There must have been excitement as it was being erected. Our response to God's word and God's commands will do much to determine the level of our spiritual energy. Is our spiritual life bland or is it blossoming? Is it exciting or is it boring? Our lives should be exciting. God's doing wonderful things here. He's called most of us from another country to come here and be his voice and feet and hands to bring the gospel to this land. We should be excited about that. Moses demonstrated perfect obedience to the work that was given to him earlier in Exodus in this narrative. Jesus also finished the work that God gave him to do. John 4:34 my food is to the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And the finished work glorifies God. John 17:4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. What has God given each of us to do here in Thailand in this season in our lives? The irresistible cross. George Terrell of England. He was a Jesuit priest. He was expelled from the Jesuit order for some of his views. But in the midst of his troubles, he was quoted, again and again, I have been tempted to give up the struggle. But always that strange man hanging on the cross sends me back to my tasks again. Are we going back to our tasks when we look at the cross? Are we fulfilling what God has placed in our hearts to do? The cross is a picture of horrible torture and death. It's also a picture of incredible obedience that resulted in salvation for mankind, resulted in restoring our fellowship with God. If Jesus had not been 100% obedient to the calling God had placed upon him, we wouldn't have the hope that we have today. Will we as followers of Christ demonstrate the same level of obedience in following God's calling on our lives? You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.